Well, as we continue to reflect upon what it means to be in Christ in community, when I was planning uh, for this year, I thought there could be no better representative than to have Mark Chris from the Lansing City Rescue Mission come and share with us. Uh, besides the fact that we've had a long-standing relationship with the Lansing City Rescue Mission, as as we've rejoiced over what Mark Chris has done in leading uh, that ministry, uh, it is a great example of what it means to be in Christ in the community, to live that incarnational love of Christ uh, in the midst of a culture that's desperately uh, in need of it. And they're constantly inviting and extending the arms of love uh, to Christ, uh, but they know that without the gospel message being interjected and, and breaking into the lives of these men and women who are in need of Christ, uh, that real change uh, can only happen when there's transformation uh, that takes place. And I hope that as he shares with us, it will continue to encourage us to intercede uh, for him and for the ministry there and for all who labor in the name of Christ to see men and women who have lives changed because of the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to turn the rest of the hour over to Mark and have him come and share with us this morning. Mark. Good morning, church. I love the hymns that we, we sang and the songs that we sang just to, to give God praise and glory. It's a blessing to be able to come to a, a church with brothers and sisters in Christ to to really glory in the gospel of Christ and to recognize the power of the word of God that transforms lives. I've been in the ministry of rescue for about 14 years now, and just so you know, it was just temporary. Just so you guys know, um, just very temporary. I was thinking six months I'd help God out a little bit, you know, and uh, God has a way of getting hold of your heart, and um, I praise God for that. Uh, it's been about 14 years, and um, I recognize how God provides, and that's the amazing part about being in the rescue mission, is that we don't receive any government funding. I'll be talking more about the mission this evening, uh, but briefly, we, we share our faith. We also live by faith that God will provide through his children. We've had this long relationship with the First Baptist Church of St. John's, and you recognize the importance of the gospel, and you've been supporting us for many, many years, and we praise God for that. Uh, but because we don't receive government funding, we're relying on God's children, and as the demand increases, guess what happens? The supply increases right along with it. That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? And uh, so together we collectively give God praise for that. Uh, but the City Rescue Mission exists, and uh, we do three things well. We provide food, shelter, and hope. Those are the three things that we do to the best of our ability in mid-Michigan. And, of course, the hope is the gospel of Christ. So we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the gospel. So we provide great food and great shelter. As a matter of fact, I had to brag a little bit. So you might have heard the, the Board of Water and Light Chili Cook-Off every year. Maybe some of you have even gone to that. Um, well, we got two first prizes last uh, Thursday night. Isn't that amazing? Two first prizes. That's like our 10th award. Yes, praise God for that. So we, we provide good quality food. So competitive, we got our first place uh, meatless chili and our first place salsa. It was the first time we tried the salsa, but uh, evidently it was pretty good. I guess, I guess judges liked it. So uh, that's certainly a blessing. We provide good quality meals as well. But again, this evening, I'll, I'll be sharing more specifically about the mission. Uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about the Word of God and how it impacts people's lives. Um, tonight, we have about 148 women, children, and men spend the night with us, so about 150 people. We have um, about 79 women and kids, and 70, uh, 25 of those 79 are children. 
Uh, we have about 69 men spending the night with us tonight. So about 148 people every single night, just between 140 and 150 people every single night of the year. Um, as I mentioned, our financing comes from God's uh, provisions through his children. So out of our $2 million a year, uh, I'd say about 95% come from individual people and families. I'd say about 5% from churches, organizations, and companies. But the vast majority of the people that give are individual people and families. And so little gifts make a huge difference. It all collectively meets our needs. Uh, I do ask that you keep the, our staff in your prayers. I'll be talking tonight about a new ministry that we're starting. Uh, it was called the Outreach, and I'm looking forward to sharing this evening regarding that. Um, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4. This morning we're going to get into God's Word, and we're going to talk about how God's Word impacts people's lives. And Jesus was, was talking about a parable at this time, the parable of the sower. As you're turning your Bibles there, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 6, 6 through 9. It says, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. That's a, pretty ble- that's a great blessing, isn't it? Whether you water, whether you plant, God is the one who does the work, but he allows you to be part of it, and that is exciting. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was um, at the doctor's office, and um, of course, we all love going to the doctor's office, right? And so as I'm, as I'm leaving, all of a sudden I hear this voice, uh, Mark, Mr. Mark, Mr. Mark. And I, and I turn around, there's this guy named Rodney. Now, Rodney I had not seen for probably four to five years. And uh, when he left the mission, um, he at one time was following Christ, and it seemed as though the direction of his life was going in the right direction. Uh, he was addicted to, to uh, crack cocaine, was his primary abuse. Um, but, you know, I look at it this way, that, you know, We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we recognize that even addictions to drugs and alcohol is a sin issue that God can solve. Would you agree with this? It's a heart issue. And so Rodney seemed at one time, his life seemed to be going in the right direction. He seemed to be following Christ. And all of a sudden, he went back into the world in a, in a heavy, horrible way. And uh, lost track of what happened to Rodney. He disappeared for four years. I don't know if he was in prison. Didn't know if he was in jail. All of a sudden, Rodney is yelling, hey, Mr. Mark, i got to tell you something. And he grabbed my wife and I and said, hey, I've got to tell you something. He's so excited. He was like, I want you to know that I am following Christ. Is that, just that phrase alone should get you excited, isn't it? He goes, I just want you to know that I went back in the world for a while, but I turned back to follow Christ. I'm a member of a church. I'm married. I have two children. And I'm serving God in the church. And that's the important part. When you see people follow Christ, should be actively serving Christ in the local church so they can grow and know him better. Amen? And we can do what God designed us to do. He designed us to serve him and know him better. And so here's what's interesting. is When Rodney had left, we would have written off this, but that was a complete failure. That was a complete failure. This guy went back in the world and, and uh, full speed ahead. You know, if he, I wouldn't happen to run into him that day. I never would have known what God was doing in his life. But you know what's important? It doesn't really matter what, if I know, right? Because God was still changing his heart and his life. And I think the parable of the sower kind of hints about that, is that when we hear God's word, we receive it in four different ways. And it's important to recognize that if we have the opportunity to water or plant, it's for the glory of God. And you don't need to always see the fruit. Would you agree with this? 
Just know that God's word is effectual and God is willing to use you for his glory and for his purpose. So know God's word is effectual. So this parable, uh, parable of the sower, as you turn to Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read the first few verses here. Before I get started, let me mention where we're at. Uh, This parable, Jesus is really at the height of his ministry right now, and we see it both in uh, a number of the books in the gospel. The setting, of course, if you could turn to the next, next slide, is beside the, the Sea of Galilee. So this is the map. This is a map quest or, or Google Maps. Awesome. Um, gives you a chance to kind of see this map of where we're talking. This parable probably took place. Um, it's by the Sea of Galilee. It's about 121 miles from Jerusalem. I would have said 195 kilometers, but I guess we didn't really learn the metric system very well. No. I was promised that we would learn the metric system when I was in school. I was pretty worried about it. So 121 miles, we can certainly relate to, up to Jerusalem from Capernaum, north of Galilee. So Tiberias, you go to the next slide, was west of the Sea of Galilee. So you can see the lower right, uh, west side, by the Sea of Galilee. Again, height of Jesus' popularity at this time. This parable is first recorded here, but also with Matthew as well as in Luke. The crowd was very long, and they're along the seashore. If you go to the next page, next screen giving kind of a graphic idea of oversight, aerial view of the location. If you go to the next slide, you'll see some lots of land here. Now, the lots seem to indicate that there's lots of rocky area and there's some cultivated area. So when Jesus is giving this parable, the people in that area would understand what he's talking about. Now, I have to ask, are there a few farmers here? It's pretty rural. Sure, sure there's some farmers here. Raise your hand if you're a farmer. Wonderful occupation, difficult, right? It is challenging at best. But what a blessing to see how God provides. So when he's talking agriculture, the vast majority of the people understand what he's talking about here. And so we see the map, some cultivation on the further west side in the rocky area near to the sea. So when Jesus is talking about this parable of the sower, people would certainly relate to what he's talking about. There are many plots of farmable rich soil between Tiberias and Capernaum. Most land northwest of Galilee are mountainous and they're rocky. Very shallow soil and hard clay-like characteristics. Agriculture and fishing were the primary vocations, certainly at this time. If you're willing with me, if you would bow your heads and pray with me as we spend time in God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to see your will and see your purpose. Help us to better know you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The the parables are certainly spoken. Parable is something that Jesus would tell that we'd be able to remember and repeat as well as we apply it to our hearts and our lives. If you go to the next slide, we're in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside, beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Verse 2. And he was teaching them many things and parables, and in this teaching he said to them, verse 3, Listen, a sower went out to, show, to sow, and he, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Verse 6. 
And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell onto good soil, and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. He said, He who has ears to hear, let him do what? Let him hear. If you go back to verse 3, it says, Listen in the English. It's actually a Greek word, akuo. Akuo is used in verse 3 to get our attention. And we use again the English word listen. It's actually used about nine times in the next 20 verses. Now think about that. If the word of God repeats something nine times in 20 verses, you may want to get your attention to it. It encourages us to react or to attend to. So attend to what I have to say, that which is spoken. He used the English word here as a reminder or for the remainder of the parable that we see in the English. I think sometimes I think about mothers. Mothers know the difference between hearing and listening. Is that true? There are some mothers who can recognize that. It reminds me of a time when I was a child back in, um, I'm going to say it was about 1976. You can do the math later, all right? Um, so I, I, was, I was at home and, of course, with my sisters. I have two older sisters and one younger sister. And, of course, usually when I got in trouble, it wasn't usually my fault. It was my sister's fault, just so you guys know that right up front. And so I, I, I called my sister a bad word. Um, started with an S, um, S-T-U-P-I-D. It was a bad word, right? And now, in, in my household, when you said something bad, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so the penalty of that was... Was what? What do you guys have penalties? Spanking is a good one. How about soap? All right, raise your hand if you ever got soap in the mouth. Ever got soap in the mouth? Don't, don't be shy. Okay, I'm sure it's been a long time since that's happened, right? But that was the penalty in my household. It was you know you need to listen, and if you do something wrong, that's the penalty. And so so this day my sister was next to me, and she wanted to make sure judgment was at hand, right? So she was witnessing because she told on me. It was time for me to get soap. We go into the bathroom. We can't seem to find bar soap for some reason. So mom had a great idea. We'll go down the kitchen. We'll get palm olive. Yeah, that, that's an upgrade, isn't it? And so I just kind of insisted this is not fair, right? It's, it's a larger penalty than should be. It's not just. But another thing came to our, to our minds, my sister and I, as we stand in front of the kitchen counter, usually you've been taught everything under the counter is what? Poisonous. You know, sometimes our kids, we act like we don't listen, but we were listening. <laughs> my sister and I looked at each other, and we were thinking the same thing. Oh, my goodness, this is really bad. <laughs> and the next thing I know, she's like, she's like pleading on my behalf. No, mom, 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 don't do it. It's okay. He didn't really mean to say it. It's okay. And then she finally said what I was thinking in my tears. It was, mom, 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 just, just don't kill him. Well, my mom was a little embarrassed, right? And I did, I promise you, I got away without the soap that day, which was beneficial. But there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? Sometimes we hear, but we don't always listen. It's a good example that actually we did listen for a change, certainly. But this is what the Word of God is saying. Akuo, listen, attend to what I have to say here. Hear me. Hear what it has to say. Listen. Be attentive to. How critical is hearing God's message? How critical is it for us to be attentive to what God's word says? We have to hear God's word or to know God's word in order to be attentive to it. If we go on to verse 10, 
So the word, the parable is spoken. In verse 10 it says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Verse 10, parables compels people to think. Jesus is not hiding the truth. The conditions of one's heart dictates the condition or ability in which we receive God's word. Verse 11, only those that have faith truly understand. God doesn't keep it a secret from them. They are not able to understand. The secret of the kingdom of God seems to be in particular Jesus is the Christ. The question is, do you believe? Do you understand that Jesus is the Christ? In verse 12, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10. God exposes the heart of Israel in Isaiah chapter 6. Now imagine in Isaiah chapter 6, it's right after the purification of Isaiah, where he is a, a sinful man, and he needs to be refined by God, purified by God in order to be the mouthpiece of God. Right after that purification that came by God, God tells Isaiah to be his mouthpiece. If they would have listened, God would have spared Israel. The hard heart was just as true with those scriptures, those scribes and Pharisees as well, at this very time that Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God and the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. So that was the comparison, but let's talk about the explanation. Let's go to verse 13. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown in rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things enter in and choke out the word. And it it proves to be unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. All these are things, all these things would be foolishness if you, if you don't understand, if you don't believe. In verse 14 through 15, it's the hardened heart. They're callous to the things of God. They have no interest in the things of God. This parable could have easily been entitled or titled the the probability of the heart might have been a good title for this, prob- or this um, parable, the, pro- the pliability of the heart. It's about our heart condition. You will find yourself in one of these four ways in which God, God's word is received. Reminds me of a time where I had a, a chance to go talk to some, some atheists and humanists. Um, there's actually a mid-Michigan atheist and humanist group. That used to make every, they used to meet every week, but now they meet only once a month. Um, it was kind of interesting because I had to go to their Facebook page. I noticed they had 
2,500 likes, 2,549. But, you know, the mission has 2,600, so that was probably good. We outpaced them a little bit. Um, so one day, about two years ago, um, the leader of the Atheist Humanist Group asked uh, a friend of mine to come share what they believe. Now, picture this. I've got about this prior group of 40 or 50 people, of atheists and humanists. Of course, atheists somebody somebody does not believe God exists. And I... Th- I think they know what we believe. At least they think they know what we believe, right? And so my friend was like, you know, I don't I want to go to this group, but I don't want to pass it up. So would you be willing to go with me? Like, well, if I have a chance to come talk to a bunch of people about God's word, why would I not do that? Oh, well, you need to know they're, they're all humanists and atheists. Oh, why not, right? So, so I go to this group, and um, I walk in, and I could just tell they're looking at, here comes the foolish guy. Here, here he comes. Right? Here comes this foolish man to, to tell us what doesn't exist. Right? And I think about how, how does God's word impact people's lives. It's received in one of those four ways. Right? Some who hear the word don't have the ability to understand or believe. Right? So I was thinking about um, these hardened hearts, how calloused the scoffers that they are. So as I, I came there, I mentioned... Just for a moment, if you could believe, if you were the atheist, I said, look, friends, I said, could you just for a moment pretend God exists? Just for a moment. Now, that's a huge ask, isn't it, for 40, 50 people who live their entire life as enemies of God, believing God does not exist. It's just for a moment, just pretend God exists. Could you do that for me? They nodded their heads. So, so just what if? What if God existed? What if God created you for his purpose and for his glory? Is that possible? Well, if God exists, he created you for a purpose, Right? So what if God created all of us out of the same lump of clay? What if? What if God, out of the same lump of clay, made some people for destruction and some people for glory? What if? What if out of the same lump of clay, God made some people for destruction and some people for glory? What if he made these people for destruction so these people meant for glory would understand what mercy is? So they kind of scratched their heads and they started thinking and started talking, talking amongst themselves. And I gave kind of an example of what is mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Do you know that we all need mercy? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we all need God's mercy. God's mercy begins by hearing the word of God. Yes? Seems like 1976 was a busy year. Reminds me of a time where our mother said, instead of the soap, it was like, um, wait till your father gets home. Am I the only one that said Heard those, that phrase, yes? So at about eight years old, um, my mother, even at that time, couldn't really spank me. And I just, kids, just for a record, don't laugh when your mother spanks you, okay? Because it's going to get elevated to another correction level, okay? That'll be wait till your father gets home. And so as dad gets home, you're waiting for the, the correction, right? And so our correction was a spanking with a belt. And so you would go to dad's bed, right? And you'd lay over it. And you'd wait for correction, right? And I realized that there's, there's no negotiating. And there's no moving, right? Because you're going to get another one, right? So you just, you wait for judgment. Because you deserve judgment, right? Well, this day in 1976, I remember my dad saying, as I'm waiting, right, waiting. He says, son, I'm going to show you mercy. Kind of like, well, mercy? What's Mercy? What's, I mean, what, what's mercy, right? He goes, well, I'm going to show you mercy. So, Dad, does that mean I'm not going to get a spanking? He says, yes, I'm not going to give you a spanking today. I'm going to show you mercy. I can tell you one thing 
Mercy's good, right? <laughs> Eight years old, Mercy's right up there with pizza, right? Like immediately, instantly, Mercy's, I don't know how to spell it yet, but man, it's good. Mercy is good. I understand that I deserve judgment, but I received what? Mercy. It wasn't until I understood that I, I deserve judgment that I understand the value of mercy, right? So what if, what if, out of the same lump of clay, God made some people for destruction and some people for glory? What if he made some people for destruction just so those people meant for glory would understand what mercy is? What if? So when we're talking about these what ifs, suddenly a couple of people in the back got really upset. The guy in the far right finally stood up. He goes, wait a minute. Are you telling me that I'm meant to go to hell? Is that what you're telling me? It's like, whoa, 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 friend, wait a minute. Remember, all this stuff is foolishness to you, remember? Remember all this, God doesn't exist, hell doesn't exist, heaven, remember this is just foolishness. So why are you, why are you getting so upset? Well, why do you think he's getting so upset? Because you know what? God has revealed himself to all mankind, yes? His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so we are without excuse, Yes? So they kind of started laughing, oh, you got us, you got us, that's right, you got I didn't mean to get them, right? The word of God, the truth of God got them, yes? Because if I walked in there, this is just foolishness, there's no God, no heaven, no hell, why are you getting so upset? Well, some people are not able to understand God's word because they're hardened heart. So I paraphrase Romans chapter 9, in a way, with the same lump of clay, But the word of God impacts people's lives. Half the scoffers seemed to hear, at least attended to, attended to what I had to say. The other half became more cynical and scoffed all the more. I had met a few scoffers at the mission in my tenure. However, this was at a different level of scoffer, if you will. There are some people here today that hearts are maybe calloused and don't have a care for the things of God. Some of us can remember when we were like them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, of following desires and thoughts like the rest of mankind. We were by nature objects of God's wrath, yes. Love when Paul reminds those in Ephesus that same thing. Remember we were like that at one time? Remember? It's a good thing to remember. There's a lady at the mission. Her name is Jill. She'd come to the mission four times. Four times. It's her fourth trip. This time, in my Bible class, I teach the book of Romans every Thursday morning. She was in class, and she began to weep. And she said, I just want you to know that it took me four trips to the mission to finally get it. That's pretty good, isn't it? To finally recognize when she was, when I first came, I was, I was an atheist. So scoffer would be a good title, yes? And then I come back, I hear God's word, because I just want you to know today I am a Christian, and she's attending a local church in Lansing, and she's finally getting her housing, but the, the reward wasn't the housing. The reward is that she's walking rightly. Isn't that amazing? So when she first came, she was a scoffer. She had a hardened heart. But what changed? She heard God's word, yes? God's word impacted her life. In verse 16 and 17, we're talking about shallow, shallow soil. Let's go back to verse 16. And these are the ones sown in rocky ground, the ones who, when... They heard the word, immediately received it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when the tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. The shallow heart. 
There are times I see people profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but are not truly committed to the things of God. At the same group, at this atheist group where I, where I share God's word, there's a lady there named Cheryl, and Cheryl was a, an ex-Christian. You know why she was an ex-Christian? Because she met a hypocrite. I don't know, that's a shock, right? But we can relate to sometimes close family members or friends that go back into the world that profess to be followers of Christ. And her life and her family life has been greatly impacted by hypocrisy. But I reminded her, we don't follow man, we follow Christ. There's a difference, amen? There is an emotional response that is impulsive and not genuine. Your genuineness will be tested with difficulty when difficulty arrives. I suspect the majority of proclaimed American Christians have a shallow heart or fall in the category of rocky soil. They probably don't actually attend church or maybe on important holidays. Life is good as long as things are going well. But the minute tribulation trial comes, I'm, I'm out of here. When persecution trial comes, your genuineness is suddenly revealed. A few years ago, as I was preaching the word of God in the dead of winter, there's a man on the right-hand side of the chapel. Our chapel is about this big, by the way, just this one section right here. I love it. It's our chapel right here, the middle section. The guy on the right-hand side was sleeping. He fell asleep. His head was against the wall. And normally Vince does not do that. Usually he's pretty attentive. So after the service, I came up to him and said, Hey, Vince, are you okay? What's going on? He goes, Well, he goes, I'm, I'm dying. And he was, had a bad case of pneumonia. He was elderly. And he said, I might have a, a few days, a few days to live. I said, Well, First question, what's your relationship with God like? What's your relationship with God like? And he says, oh, because I don't want to, he I don't want to be a Christian. He says, I, I don't want to be just like my brother. I don't want to be just like my brother. He says he was a Christian, but the same, the same old sorrowful soul he was before he ever became a Christian. So I don't want to be a Christian just because I'm dying. Well, brother, I can't think of a better, a better reason, do you? Just because I'm dying. I, I, I don't want to become a Christian just because I'm dying. And so Vince uh, suddenly was gone the next night or two, and he was gone the following night, and I'm worried about Vince. I've been praying for him. I want God to impact his heart. You mentioned how hard, how hard is your heart that you know you have limited days and you refuse to believe in the work of Christ. You, you refuse to believe that your sins need to be atoned for. So I decided I would go to the Spiro Hospital, and I found Vince at Spiro Hospital. Oh, praise God, Vince is still alive. He decided to go to the hospital. So I walk into his, his room. I come around the corner, and there's Vince sitting in his bed. And he had a totally different persona. His whole countenance had changed. I'm like, Vince, are you ready to get saved now? You know what he said? You betcha. You betcha. I said, you know, Vince, God did not have to show you mercy, did he? He goes, No. He didn't, he didn't have to. Did God, was God, God obligated to heal him? Was God obligated to do so? No. But for some reason, this was the time that God changed this man's heart to realize that he had sin and he needed salvation and Christ died for his sins. The question is, do you believe this to be true? Do you believe that you're an enemy of God, in opposition to God, and you've fallen short of the glory of God, We can accept God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. That God paid, God became man, and died for your sins. Do you believe this to be true? What are you going to hold on to in your days? Vince finally 
by God's hand believed. Isn't that awesome? So we sat down and we talked about God's word. But I was amazed to see how we went from scoffing to not believing to finding great peace and victory in Christ. But what changed? The word of God didn't change, right? But God showed mercy. But our obligation is the same when it comes to the truth of the word of God. Let's go to verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things enter and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is what I would call maybe the, the flirtatious heart. The flirtatious heart. There are competing interests. Think about First John two fifteen through 17. The word of God does not compromise. The word of God does always stand true. It says, don't love the world, right? First John 2, 15 through 7. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has or does come not from the Father but from the world. The word of God says, the world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. Is that a great promise? But it's also a great warning, Right? To begin with, it says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Years ago, as I was volunteering at the mission, remember just temporarily at the mission? That was one verse that convicted my heart. You know why? Because I love the world. I love the things of the world. But when the word of God says, if you love the world, the love of God is, is not in you. Like, not in me, not even like a little bit? No, when, when you're idle, are things in the world in your will and not the will of God, we see the opposition to his will. I call it the flirtatious heart. This is another large contingency of American Christians, probably those that do actually go to church, but often, some, but often say, I'm busy. I don't have time to pray or read the Bible. I don't have time to grow in Christ-likeness. You're probably not going to hear someone say that, right? It'd be a good key, wouldn't it? I know I never would have said, I don't have time, pastor, to, to grow in Christ-likeness. I'd be upfront about it, right? But it was true. It's how I, it was my actions. I show you my faith by what I do. Yes? I show you my faith by what I do. I agree that it's conceptually good. I just don't have time for that. I show you my faith by what I do, James chapter 2. But then we have verse 20. Verse 20. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And bear fruit thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. The fruitful, believing heart. The word produces results, ladies and gentlemen. The word produces an abundant harvest. A believing heart develops a hunger for the things of God, a hunger for His righteousness that weeps over sin, desires to know God and serve Him and love Him forever. I wish I could say that an atheist or two became believers. I personally cannot say that. However, I do know that a genuine child of God, a true Christian, comes to faith through hearing the word of God. How will they know unless someone tells them? Today I think about Vince as serving, serving God and faithfully learning more of what it means to be a child of God. I know Jill is doing the same thing. I think about Rodney as well. 
hearing the Word of God, being impacted by the Word of God. Today I'm going to talk to you about a gentleman named Randall. Now, Randall was homeless for about seven years. He would be what we would call the town drunk. If you heard the um, cars honking the horn in the middle of the day, it'd probably be Rodney walking down the streets in a drunken stupor. But guess what God did in his life over seven years? Transformed it for the power and the glory of God. God's word is effectual, ladies and gentlemen. Tony, Rodney, Jill are serving faithfully, learning more what it means to be a child of God. But God has a way of enabling our callous hearts to hear the truth. To believe that which is true, I'm a sinner and I need salvation that comes from above. Do you believe this today? Do you long for God and desire of the things of God? You know, it's okay to ask God to help you, desire the will of God, desire his righteousness. That's a great prayer. God, help me. Help me to desire your will. Help my belief. Help me see joy in knowing you better. Certainly as I was walking with the Lord and and deciding, do I go back into uh, my career? I realized my career was kind of what was stopping me from serving the Lord. Careers are not bad, but when it comes to an idol, it certainly is bad. And I realized I had this great joy of serving God in ministry, seeing people come to Christ. But I wasn't, I wasn't willing to leave what I was comfortable with. It's good to have a faithful wife, isn't it? So wife is like, you know, hon, we 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 got to go into ministry. Well, hon, we, we can't afford to go into ministry, right? Besides, it's for those pastor types, right? It's not for ordinary people. But I tell you, there's no more greater joy than being in the will of God, forsake the things of the world, and seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. All these other things shall be added. Time will tell. Time will tell. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Hear God's word and obey. Ask him to enable you, enable you to serve him and know him better. Desire the things above and not the things on earth. There is great joy in knowing his truth and having a believing, responsive heart that bears fruit. With that, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. I pray that we would rejoice in knowing you. I pray that you would help us to desire your will. I pray that we'd find great joy in telling others and reflecting on your mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.